At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Round came through. They've taken a catcher, a high school kid in the 13th round. So I'm like, all right, just don't be a catcher. That way I can maybe sign. They're going to need more than one catcher. And then it popped up, John M. Cleary. And I was like, that's me. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's From Phenom to the Farm, an interview series talking to former professional baseball players on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Bandujo. Today, we are talking to former Maryland catcher and Brewers farmhand, Jack Cleary. Jack was a four-year starter at Maryland before his career in pro baseball, something that might have been unthinkable to pretty much anyone except him, maybe even a little bit him when he was in high school. Jack takes us through his story, going from a guy who didn't start until his senior year of high school to manning the catching duties in an ACC school just two years later. We talk about the importance of confidence and having faith in yourself, his experience as being a pie-eyed freshman upon his arrival at Maryland, and then how playing for then-Maryland skipper and current Michigan head coach Eric Backich pretty much changed his life, changed his career. Uh, Most of the guys I've had on this show, I I say most, not all, but most of them have known pretty early on that they're at least going to get a solid shot to compete in college. Jax was a big-time underdog story. I hope everyone enjoys it as much as I did. Really fresh perspective. Um, Really, really cool to hear how he just embraced the challenge of being a walk-on and believed in himself and, and made it as far as he did in baseball. Uh, episodes of Rafina on the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoyed this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you're subscribed to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. MLB playoffs are going on, but more importantly, the Arizona Fall League is going on. Uh, BA has you covered on that front. Josh Norris, I believe, is down there. Uh, giving daily reports so so make sure baseballamerica.com always a good time to be subscribed and with that let's talk to jack cleary all right joining in for today's episode from phenom to the farm he was a 39th round pick of the brewers in the 2013 draft former maryland baseball standout jack cleary jack thanks so much for joining us i'm from phenom to the farm absolutely thank you for having me it's good to be here of course, man. I've been been looking forward to this uh, ever since uh, ever since we got in contact. Um, we normally on this show start out, you know, kind of we kind of work up to this, work up to to how your career goes. But I, I want to start out with this. You were a you ended up being as your career wrapped a four year starter behind the plate at Maryland. You played two seasons in affiliated ball for the Brewers, another season in indie ball where you're Frontier League All Star. When you were getting into high school, even late into high school, were you getting the kind of attention from coaches, from scouts that would suggest that that's what your career path would look like? Oh, man. Good question, man. I mean, no. The the, the short answer is no. I mean, I really wasn't recruited by anybody, really. I mean, I really just kind of, you know, was lucky enough to grow up with a lot of good baseball players in the area, travel teams, and always knew I could play with those guys, but, and had the goals of doing it. But, you know, when you look back at, where I got, it was, it's a pretty, it's a pretty wild ride, pretty crazy story in my opinion, kind of the underdog theme. So just not a lot of attention and, and couldn't really, you know, I had that vision in my head of where I wanted to go, but it, it, it wasn't looking good there for a while. <laughs> so growing up in, in Virginia and in the Virginia high school ranks, what, what first got you behind the dish? So I was actually a catcher at a young age. I mean, I threw the gear on when, when no one wanted to at T-ball, you know, and and uh, was always the, kind of the dirtiest kid on the field and, and just loved to be back there um, pretty much my whole career and, and travel ball career. And, 
you know, when I got into high school, there was a lot, there was a good catcher in front of me, Tyler Gruel. He was a, a four-year starter as a freshman, you know, great above me. So I had to kind of go to, uh, you know, other positions, infield, outfield, whatever it was, just to stay on the field. And I kind of put the gear aside for a while there until, until I got an opportunity to put it back on like my senior year of high school. So as you got into high school and still and had some aspirations to play beyond high school to play division one baseball, um, it was kind of you class of 08. So kind of a little before guys were really doing their own recruiting that that social media was really the tool that it is now to kind of get yourself out there. What were you doing to get seen? You had some some big time prospects on your your actual high school team, guys who got a lot of attention, guys who got draft attention. What were you doing to get your name out there? And did it did it feel like you were in those guys' shadow, or did that help? Well, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But obviously, it's changed so much with the technology, and you really can kind of advocate yourself and get found, you know, from from one viral video or whatever, you know, which is pretty crazy. And those things were kind of catching on at the end of college. But for me in high school, I mean, I really when I look back at my career, what kind of fueled me to keep going was when I, I mean, I actually got cut from one of my like my lifelong travel ball team when they went from the, the Huguenot Trailblazers to the Virginia Cardinals and got cut. And, you know, I look back at that as something that really motivated me. I had to kind of make a decision whether I wanted to keep playing baseball or, you know, do something else, you know, kind of was a look in the mirror moment for me. Um, and, I, you know, it really motivated me to just not want to feel like that anymore because most of those guys went, you know, on to play travel ball, get invited to all the good showcases make the high school team. I actually got cut from eighth grade at JV. Like I didn't make, I didn't make the team. So when I got cut from the travel team and then I got cut from that team, that's really what, you know, I went home and, and, you know, in tears basically, and just worked real hard the next year to, to never let it happen again. And, um, you know, as far as travel ball and kind of getting recruited, I was on my own, you know, me and my dad were getting in the car on the weekends, going to, you know, whatever perfect games I could get into a lot of money maker stuff um blue gray you know those sort of things and I was just playing JV baseball and just trying to get better really I mean I was kind of a late bloomer in terms of being you know physical just kind of a baby deer long long limbs and and just kind of moving in quicksand at some times you know but you know I, I really did think you know I, I think I told my high school baseball coach I wanted to play at Texas when I was a freshman and he was like all right well let's <laughs> let's pump the brakes here but I mean I, I knew I you know, I knew how good Austin Stadler and Daniel Mars were, and I caught them my whole life. And I was just waiting to get that opportunity again, um, which I finally did. So to answer your question, I mean, I was out on my own and, and really what it came down to was finally getting that opportunity. And, and luckily those scouts and stuff were looking and in the stands and we are, had such a good run with those two state championship teams that, you know, it just kind of, the chips kind of fell into place. But I mean, one thing, one lineup different, you know, you never know where it would have gone. You mentioned those two, those two state championships in high school, which I'm, I'm very familiar with. Cause as you know, my, my best friend, my best man was on those teams. And I was always informed that had I not moved, I would have at least like been able to ride the bench and, and be on one of those teams. So that's, that's something I've had to carry with me <laughs> uh, my, my entire life. But um, in high school, there's always, and it's, I feel like, especially now, but even back when we were in high school, there was always that, that thing of, Oh, got to get to the next level or I got to get my scholarship, got to get, you know, got to get to college, whatever. And I, I always go back now, especially when I was in college and, and playing, I always go back to, man, I, I miss like, you know, just playing in random travel tournaments on a weekend and playing like six games in a weekend. And in the grand scheme of things, none of them matter, but they're all really fun. Um, you know, you have the, 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 I guess the peak of like high school baseball, you win those back-to-back Virginia state titles. Where did those rank for you as far as career experiences after everything you experienced, you know, after high school? Yeah, man, I just got the chills just listening to that thinking back on which, you know, those runs and the junior year one, when I, I was on the bench, pretty much I had a couple key like pinch hits and started some games here and there, you know, I did, did, did get to contribute a little bit, but at the end of the day, I was on the bench when they were dogpiling. I had, you know, and so that one was awesome. I, you know, it was just incredible. That team was so good because it was a year above us. It was, it was like two travel ball teams collided and just everyone meshed and great coaching all the way around, which is unbelievable experience. And it set up, you know, set the tone for the next year. We were really, we were building a program at that point. Um, but, you know, that second one, I, I can remember specifically like when I knew I was going to be the starting catcher finally and get that opportunity. And I knew it might be the last time I played baseball. That was something 
hard for me to accept as a like, is this really going to end? Because it's all I knew, you know, it could it could end. And I remember just letting go and kind of being like, just go out there and play and have fun um, doing it and just do the best you can. You never know who's watching, leave it all in the field, hustle, do all that stuff. And, you know, just enjoy enjoy your senior year too of high school, right? I mean, it was crazy. Just, I, you know, I just kind of let that go. I didn't get caught up in who was going to recruit me, all that stuff. We just focused on the games. And that's really, you know, it's an easier said than done, easier thing said than done because you want to make it to that next level. But I really did, do, you know, do a good job of that. Um, that last year just was kind of riding the high, went, trying to win that state championship. That second one, though, when I got on the bus ride home and I wasn't committed anywhere yet at the time, it was just, I just remember feeling like I had, a, you know, it was the coolest feeling, you know, just being like, wow. So, I mean, I'd say at the end of it, you know, just being a part of a winning program like that. And then that, that helped, you know, when I got to Maryland and got into a leadership role there, I mean, we turned that program around too. You know, just those types of things all the you learn how to win, you know? So I'd say that, that, that James River baseball two state championship run, probably it's up there, man. If it's not the top experience. So when you, when you, you're riding the bus home and you don't have, it's not guaranteed that you have a spot on a college baseball team. Were you dead set? Like I am finding a place to play or was it just like, I've got a safety school and I'm, you know, hopefully I can figure out this baseball thing. I had um, already enrolled or like was in the process of going to, you know, orientation at East Carolina. And I was trying to get my coach to contact the coach to kind of get like a recruited walk on type thing. And, and I was going to go walk on there. I was just me and my brother were like, let's train all summer. Let's go make that team, you know, but. And you had confidence you could play in, in yourself that you could play at that level. Yeah. I'd been down to some games and watched the catchers and, and I knew me and my dad knew I could play whether or not it was going to happen. That's another story just because you know, that is with, with walk-ons and, you know, just baseball and you get into how many people can be on the team, all that stuff, you know, and just, you got to play well when you're going to do that. So, you know, I was nervous about that. I was excited, but it, it didn't get too far before, you know, coach Schumacher, a Pete Schumacher, the head coach at James river at the time, you know, he was working for me trying to, you know, some couple small D three schools that finally were trying to get me to go there. I can't even remember which ones, but I, I, I wanted to go to a bigger school and I, he got, he was like, come on, let's work with what you got. But, but I just kept my head down trying to get, you know, if I didn't make it at East Carolina, I could have been okay with at least hanging my hat on that and being a normal college student. Um, but yeah, then Maryland, you know, happened to see me in the playoffs and they had, they, apparently they had seen me and they had, had a couple catchers that they had just signed. And the way it went down was they didn't make grades or something like that. And then he's, so he saw me, he had seen me earlier in the playoff run and I think it was like right before graduation, we had just won the state championship and it was graduation day of high school and got a call saying that, you know, they were interested. We thought it was going to happen. And I went to senior year beach week and found out there like one of the last nights that I was going to Maryland and went to the, went to, you know, got up there quick with my dad the next week for like a, a visit. And it was just a recruited walk-on position, but it was like penciled in on the team. Like, you know, it was a lot more official. I sent them in my transcripts and, and, you know, we, we went through the whole process of doing that. So I knew I was going there. And, and at that point I was like, well, this is a better school than, than I, you know, I'm going there regardless. If I don't, if it doesn't work out baseball wise, I'll be happy with a good academic school like Maryland. So you, you get that secured spot on the team, pretty remarkable accomplishment for a guy who didn't really start until he was a senior, but you're not exactly the crown jewel of the recruiting class. So you head in there as probably the last guy signed, one of the last guys to be added to that team. What was your mentality going in there as a walk-on, as a as a catcher? Because especially, I mean, I, I would assume number one is just stay on the team because fall. not everyone always makes it through fall ball. But catchers have to do a lot of work, especially the guys who are not playing. There's a lot that goes into that. So what was your mentality of how you could contribute in some way and make this Maryland team as a walk-on freshman? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I maybe am naively optimistic in a lot of ways. Um, but I was just so thrilled to, to just extend my career in my mind, at least another year, you know, year, four years and, and to be playing in the ACC and like with, you know, it's funny because there was like, I think nine or 10 freshmen that year. And there were some big time people coming in, you know, Zach Helgeson had just won like the home run derby, like with Bryce Harper in it, or like came in, you know, one of those things. And then some really, really good talent. And there was a lot of freshmen 
in a program that seemed like it was kind of like searching for its identity in the ACC. So, but in a lot of ways, everyone was like, man, these facilities aren't that great. But for me, I was like, holy cow, I get to come here and every day and like hit off the pitching machine and like have coaches around and just get better. So I really took that attitude um, to it and just fall ball was fun. I mean, I went in there and, and did pretty good. Like I hit a couple home runs in fall ball and, um, you know, showed off the arm a little bit. And then there was two senior catchers. So I knew I wasn't really going to play and another freshman who was pretty good. So I ended up redshirting that year. And basically what they did was took me off the roster and I became the bullpen catcher. So I don't think I was going to ask how many bullpens you caught as a red shirt. Oh my gosh, man. That was the biggest thing I needed to, cause I hadn't caught in so long. I was, I was not a good receiver when I got there. I was real antsy behind the plate, you know, dropping to one knee kind of, you know, and then just all those reps, man, jam thumbs, thumbing myself and just finally just became numb to that and just, just got better catching bullpens, but it was unreal. It, un, un insane amount of bullpens. Like you wouldn't believe how many, how many bullpens that I've, that I caught that year in my career in general, but that's any catcher. But so when you jump to that level from, from high school to, to division one offensively, where's the biggest jump? Cause it sounds like you had some defensive work to do some strategy you needed to make, but where's the, the biggest jump in difficulty? Is it just more velocity more often, or is there another aspect that makes for a big adjustment, especially when you, you finally got into games and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that redshirt year definitely helped me because it wasn't a real game. There was nothing to lose. You know, in these fall ball games, they were pretty fun, actually. Like, I, I enjoyed that. It was just, you know, the smell – the fall ball, smell of pine tar, like football game going on. Like, I was just on cloud nine. Like, it was pretty surreal for me just because I didn't even know if I was going to play college baseball. All of a sudden, I'm in the – you know, hitting off seniors that are pitching in the ACC. Um, I'd say the biggest – well, I caught, you know, I think Daniel and Austin, knowing that those guys were going to be studs at Wake Forest and all the competition that I mean, we pretty much faced a D1 pitcher in the in the Dominion District every week. So I had had the confidence pretty much that I could play at that point. I was just glad I got in the door. You know, there's always that little bit of self-doubt because you weren't a big time recruit or whatever. But I learned pretty quick that I could hang, um, you know, like I said, was hitting the ball pretty good in the fall. I mean, I, I remember – yeah, just some good stories there. You know, I don't know how much detail you want me to. By get. all means, by all means, go yeah. for it. I mean, there was a. This is a cool moment. Terry Rupp, the head coach at the time, told me I had. You know, it's one of the first fall ball games. It's like, you know, you got one job is to hit hit the ball over the fence, see how far you can hit it. And I got up the next at bat and hit one over the fence. And he was like, "Well, at least someone's listening," kind of thing. And I just remember that early on. That was a big moment for me. He probably didn't realize it, but I was like, "All right, you know." I mean, I just ran into. A, change a high change up or something but you know I, I learned pretty quick that I could hang with those guys and that I had already seen some of the best pitching I probably would see you know catching Daniel and, and Austin and just seeing the Dominion District that level of play like you know that the, there were some good guys that we that we grew up facing yeah and I mean um as you you get into your sophomore year your what it would be a redshirt freshman year when do you when you start to get a realistic idea of I might have the inside track to start here, at least I'm, I'm gunning for this spot. Well, I don't know if you know what happened, but you know that like the coaching staff, I played for three different coaching staffs, which is pretty crazy in the college baseball at that level. So you know that they, you know, Eric Backage came in and to be honest with you, that's where my story starts to really turn around. I mean, that guy honestly changed my life for sure. You know, I definitely bought in, but I mean, when he came in there and started putting his brand on Maryland baseball and making it is what it is today. You know, obviously there was another coaching change, but, and they didn't, they've done an amazing job there, but you know, that's where the core change started and we just all kept it rolling, you know, and, and. When Backage came in, did you still feel like a walk-on? Like, did you feel like I got, now I got to prove myself to another guy or did it feel like clean slate across the board because none of the current guys were actually his guys? Right, right. It was a little bit of both. It was kind of hard to figure out, but I knew I needed to, because I redshirted that last year. You know, I wasn't really part of I got to travel because I was the bullpen catcher and see all the big games, which is good, in the big stadiums at ACC baseball. But I was still getting better. And when I got, I just kind of made the commitment. I didn't have a good summer ball year after that either. I really was like, I was like, I need to really give this 100% in, like, and, and get in shape and and do the right things like and he came in and was just I just clicked with his energy I mean he was just all about doing things the right way and and um you know the little things like being a good student going to class competing in class 
um, you know, accountable on, on all fronts, you know, 15 minutes early to pretty much everything you do, make your bed in the morning, that sort of thing. And I needed that at the time. Getting in shape in an Eric Backage program, what do those off-season work at, workouts look like? They were pretty insane, man. That first couple of years was like Navy SEAL training. I mean, or the first year, that first fall. I mean, I, I committed myself to it. I mean, I literally bought in. I don't think I drank any alcohol that, that fall. He took us to the grocery store and showed us how to buy groceries. I mean, I was all in. I put on like, he's got the pictures still. He does like a before and after picture. And I put on like a bunch of muscle and nothing crazy, but I mean, way better than what I did before what I was doing before. And, uh, you know, I just bought in and, and honestly, there were still two or three catchers at the time that would have started over me, you know, for sure. But one of them had gotten Tommy had to get Tommy John. And then the other one transferred out like randomly. And all of a sudden I was like one of the only catchers on the roster. And so it was like in the winter and I was like, wow, here we go. Like I'm about to be the starting catcher. So I kind of fell into that to be honest. I mean, I was ready for it. Thank goodness. But, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty insane. So to answer your question, you know, like, when did I realize it was going into that fall? I just kind of kept my head down and like, tried to, like you said, try to try to stay on the team. And, and I did have to prove myself because when he got there, he didn't, he thought I was like a student manager. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> that's, roster. that's not the reputation you want right there. No, no. But he loved that, that idea that I was from like the school interviewed him one time and he told him that yeah this guy went from student manager to catching in the ACC which isn't all the way how it happened but it it sounds good <laughs> so when you you get that job you are you know you're one year removed from being the last guy in the recruiting class you were the bullpen catcher last year what is the off-field work for a catcher in college I assume like coaches are probably co- calling pitches most of the time at least that's, that's pretty common but like building trust with hitters, learning pitchers. Like what is the, what is the, the schoolwork look like for a catcher off the field as you come into yeah. your first year as a starter? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of bullpens. That's really where you get in sync with all the pitchers and you learn them like the back of your hand, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's like a muscle memory thing. You catch them so many times, you try to catch as many as you can, even though you, you're dying, you just want to, you know, you get a muscle milk and, watch TV or something after, but you got to stay late and catch bullpens or be there early, catch bullpens, you know, little things like cuts and relays. I mean, you wouldn't believe how much you work on, you know, cuts and relays and, and just trying to be a vocal leader out there, which, you know, catchers got to do and lining up infielders and making sure everyone's kind of, you know, being a leader on the field, um, learning different sign systems. And, you know, obviously the coaches are calling pitches, but you know, you put that quarterback wristband on, as a freshman in ACC and, and, and it's one more thing you got to think about, you know, I don't think people realize, you know, you got to check that thing, get all the signs and make sure you're kind of keeping up the tempo of the game. So that's a big thing as a freshman that you got to learn. I don't know how they're doing it now, but you know, that's, that's what we were doing for sure. So there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, a lot of workouts, you're still squatting and stuff right after inter squad games or, weekend series and you know a lot of the trainings change it's so good now with all the tpi titleist performance institute and um a lot of the it's more functional training now i think you know so but that's a lot of work you had mentioned when you got when you got into the program you're kind of a little like like pie-eyed as far as everything you know i can't believe i'm here you know this is great stuff like that when you're you're starting, you start 54 games as a you know, as a redshirt freshman. So when you're squatting down and you're in ACC play, and like Yasmani Grandal's at the plate, and yeah. Kyle Parker's at the plate, and Derek Dietrich is at the plate, and I think Danny Holson was still hitting then. Like, is there is there any like I'm sure you wouldn't say it to these guys like, hey man, you're really good, but is there a little bit of like, wow, I can't believe this dude is hitting because he's going to, you know, he's going to be a first round pick. He's going to eventually be, you know, a big leaguer. Yeah. Um, I was always kind of the focus on me and I'm think I'm better than them in my, in my own, own way. I would never walk around saying that or anything, but like, I always tried to focus on like what I was doing and making sure that the, the game was running smoothly and, and all that, like there'd be times where, and, and if I could go back, I probably would pay attention to these things a little more. Well, like, you know, I wouldn't, I couldn't even tell you like some of the guys, you know, after this, after the series, some guys would be like, Oh, like, remember that guy with the, this guy, that guy. And I'm like, no, I don't even remember him. Like, you know, I, I was just so focused, especially early on in my career, just focused on doing what I needed to do. 
and hadn't, you know, I didn't remember their walkout songs or anything like that. I just was, you know, you know, just, just kind of like making sure I took care of what I did. And I'm like, these guys aren't that much better. You know, it, you know, I, I hadn't seen anyone go in, go be a big leaguer yet that I played with, you know, looking back, look at it now, watching these games, it's insane, you know, to see all the guys that, you know, pretty much every Friday AC starter had some time in the big leagues, you know? So, and then, yeah, like Yasmani Grandal, I mean, I knew he would, you know, he'd be a big leaguer and, and uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. I wouldn't say I was in all of those guys, but I was just, I thought the ACC was so cool. Just, you know, how I knew it was the cream of the crop college baseball. And I was just trying to do my thing to prove I, I was worthy of being there. And you mentioned on your high school team, you had um, there were two big recruits and Austin Sadler and Daniel Mars, who both went to Wake Forest. I know both of them were kind of on and off the field during their college careers. Both of them, you know, dealt with injuries. Did you ever get to dig in in the box against either against a guy you'd caught since you were, you know, a little kid? Yeah, I got to face Austin at Maryland. I think I, I can't remember if I faced him at Wake. I don't think I did. He was hurt that year, but I faced him and he got me out. I think I grounded out to, to maybe to him. I can't remember. But yeah, he's got the last uh, the last bragging rights then. Yeah, he does. He does. Unfortunately, don't tell him that. I'm sure if he listens to this, he'll he'll rub it in my face. But uh, I mean, we just couldn't stop when we got in the mound. He's a tremendous competitor, too. So but we were just like laughing, like just smiling. I couldn't keep a keep a straight face looking at him on the mound, facing him, you know. <laughs> so you mentioned in also in high school, you know, two state championships. Um, you talked about culture, you know, building culture, building winning culture. That's something that Eric Backage has done, you know, first at Maryland, then at now now obviously at at Michigan. You know, how often before college had you really played on teams that lost more often than they won? And how does how does that culture happen? Because by the time you got by the time you finished out your time at Maryland, you guys were, you know, winning thirty games a year, which yeah. you know, compared to your first couple of years was was not happening. How does how does winning happen more than just talent accumulation? Yeah, it's crazy. It's something I definitely think about a lot there because yeah, it's 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 just really hard to it's a culture thing in my opinion. It takes time you got to believe in it. And like, it's easy to say, believe, but like until people are really believing in it and you get a little taste of that success, it's hard to turn it around, you know, especially at that level. Um, but I truly believe that, you know, seeing that James river, how we did it. I mean, those coaches told us they, they built the culture there. Like I remember when we sat down in my junior year, they were like, we're going to win the state championship. Like we're that good. And I remember just buying into that having a bunch of guys there, I mean, you can have all the talent in the world, but if, if they're not doing the right things or believe in, or just out for themselves, you're not going to have a winning team um, in my opinion, but it just took some time at Maryland to really just get the culture to turn around. I mean, we had, we had good team, even though that year we lost, we had a ton of guys that believed in everything. I mean, there were, look at some of our wins. I mean, we beat like Matt Harvey on a Friday night and like we'd have some, un, we'd always win like the Friday night games against all the tough schools, but being consistently, you know, really good in that league is tough. Um, and it finally started to happen once, you know, people, people started to change their attitudes and, and believe. And, and Eric Backage had a ton to do with that because he just came in and, and had core covenants and uh, changed the way we practice and thought. And, you know, those things all translate on the field eventually. Well, with that, that thinking, I know like in every, every high school team in the country is breaking out like, Hey, we're going, you know, let's go to state with, with college, with college baseball, like I remember when I got into, when I first got into to, to college, our team was good. We had a lot of talent. It was like, you know, let's win conference. Let's get to regionals. Let's see what happens. By the, by the end of my college tenure, like going into my senior season, our goals, it was like, God, let's just try to get to the conference tournament and see if we can, you know, yeah. see if we can scratch something out. So when you, you're doing that, what are kind of the team goals heading into season? Or is, are you guys talking about Omaha or is it like, Hey, let's win the ACC or let's get in the tournament. Kind of what is the, you know, having confidence, but having realism when it comes to the goals. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why back. is so great is that he shoots for the stars. I mean, there's no reason to, you know, why not us kind of Russell Wilson mentality. Um, I think if you take, especially when you're going to turn it around, you want guys who really want to believe in, in going to Omaha and winning a national championship when you're, you know, at that level at ACC baseball, you know, why not us? I mean, we hadn't even made the conference tournament. Um, and we had a, that our junior year, I think we had Omaha in our locker room and on our hats and like, you know, it was, a, it was just our thing, but, you know, 
he got everyone believing that. And at first it was kind of like, wow, this is, you know, it's pretty lofty. Let's just make the ACC tournament. But, you know, he might have those thoughts. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, the program is trying to get to Omaha. And and they've been close <laughs> since uh, I've left. And, like, one went away. And, and, you know, Backage has been there. And one went away from the College World Series. And so, obviously, in my opinion, it, it works. I mean, it like you said, it's – I think you got to have those goals and shoot for that because that's eventually how – what you're ultimately trying to do. I mean, if you get those teams that get hot and get into the AC tournament, you know, if you get into the AC tournament, especially when they had eight teams in there, I mean, most of the teams are top 25 teams. So, I mean, who's not to say, you know, you get that NCAA bit, regional bid and then you get hot and, you know, that you can't get there. I mean, it went in the AC tournament. Is, it's pretty dang good. You know, get in there and compete in that tournament. You can go all the way if you can do that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So with having having goals, um, you know, you you start 54 games as a redshirt freshman. You kind of split time a little more as a sophomore. Your junior year, you you seems like you really came into your own. You had 415 in ACC play. The team's over 500. You're you're draft eligible. Was it a surprise to go undrafted? Was it something that you were thinking about as far as like, hey, maybe I'll I'll get picked up? What was you know, you yeah. had, a few years before you've been a walk on just trying to find a place to play. And now like you're, you're a starter at a quality ACC program. Did you start mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, maybe I have a future at the next level. Yeah. About halfway through that season, I think I really started uh, thinking about that, you know, cause a lot of the guys in my junior year were all draft eligible. Like, but I, I had an extra year. I knew I had that extra year. So I wasn't totally trying to, you know, obviously I wanted to get drafted, but I was still splitting time in the beginning of that year too, really. Um, I don't think I even started in the beginning. Like I, I was like the second guy, second backup catcher to Aaron Etchison. And then he got hurt right before we went to, I think, Texas. And so then I was thrown back in the fire again. And I, you know, I was ready for that, but he, you know, we kind of split time when he got healthy again. And then I, my bat just started to heat up. And I actually had been working with Eric Milton, you know, former Maryland player, Oh, twins legend. Yeah, legend, literally a legend. He uh, was the volunteer head coach in between the transition to John Chef, but he 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 was in there the year the year before with Backage helping out, and he would I'd show up early and we'd hit. Started doing the whole leg, you know, I started leg kicking, with, and he would just throw me BP. I mean, he was just he wasn't a hitting coach or anything. Obviously, he's got an unbelievable amount of baseball knowledge, but he would just throw to me and help me get so much better working on it. And I started to heat up that that junior year and like you said I had some pretty good stats numbers when it ended up but a lot of that came late in the season and because I started leg kicking and kind of changed my swing then getting into some of this stuff that now is like what you know a lot of hitters are doing with swing path and launch angle and rhythm you know leg kick and all this stuff um I kind of just started doing it and I knew I was on to something but it um so those numbers, you know, I got on a lot of people's radar by the end of the year. I think like the Orioles maybe were interested at that point. A couple teams, like, but I didn't think I'd ever get drafted that year. I was not expecting it. I hadn't had any calls or any questionnaires or anything yet. But right after that, when you know, when the season ended up, I think I led the team in hitting. Um, and I was catching well. So that's when it started to become a real thing. And I was like, wow, this could happen. And then um, you know, heading into that next year, we that's when we had another coaching change, but um, yeah, I just knew that it was definitely a goal after that for sure. I mean, I always wanted to do it, but you know, or get, get drafted, but I mean, it was, I knew I could at that point, there were teams interested and I knew if I went out and do what I needed to do that it, it was a realistic shot at that point. Did you put pressure on yourself your senior year? Um, I didn't think so at the time, but looking back on it, I would say that I think I'd, I think I was pressing a little bit, you know, wanting to just accomplish that goal of, you know, really, really getting drafted, you know, might've, might've, might've crept in there a little bit. I mean, we were, we were still really good. We didn't have as good of a year. Some other things like I played Friday and Sunday, not making excuses, but Friday and Sunday rather than like getting in that groove of playing all weekend. So yeah, I think I had some pressure on myself and just didn't really didn't perform like I was used to. I mean, I still caught well, which was why I ended up, you know, getting drafted, you know, catcher first, obviously, um, and had some some really good weekends hitting and some flashes, but I just had some bad streaks too. So how long did draft day feel, though? 
because yeah. you know there are a lot, a lot of rounds in the draft and you were right there snuggling up in the back end. Yeah. Yeah. That was a long weekend. I, <laughs> it was um pretty crazy. You know, I, I knew I was in the draft because the Brewers actually did call me before Dan Nellum who, who drafted or was a scout that drafted me, called me, wish me luck. Like, you know, the weekend, bef- the week, a couple of days before the draft started. So I was like, all right, there's a chance. Were they the only team that had reached out to you? Um, yeah, I think, uh, the Padres had sent me a questionnaire Then I mean, I thought the Orioles guy was, was gonna, and I thought that was still going from the year before I was hoping at least, but obviously the back cooled off a little bit <laughs> that year. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, uh, it was a long three days. I didn't know what to, I was on, I was on edge because, you know, you're just waiting for that last day or I was just hoping I could sign as a free agent or something. I mean, I didn't know what to expect to be honest, but. I know. How did you spend your time? Were you, were you, cause after, I think after like the first couple of rounds, it went off TV and you had to yeah. know, do the draft tracker and stuff. Like, how were you, how are you choosing to, were you on edge? Were you, you know? Yeah. Like, I was pacing around the house that? for sure. For sure. I mean, I, yeah, I, um, I was, me and my friend got into MLB the show for a while. We were playing that like the video game and I don't really play many video games. Um, but that one at the time was fun and, something to do just to play baseball i probably should have done something else keep my mind off it but i also built a uh, wiffle ball you know there's like pitching like the 10 it's got like the 10 you see the wiffle ball on youtube where it, like you hit it and it's a strike Remember yeah, I built yeah. It in my backyard <laughs> i don't know i was just doing anything i could um to take my mind off it until you know until uh that third day came what was the the draft process like what what's did you did you get a phone call do you get phone calls in the 39th round no. So I thought you would, you know, like my buddy was trying to figure out what we were doing later that night. I think we were going to a concert or something and uh, like a local bar with a concert and, and he kept calling me and I'm like, every time my phone would ring, I'm like, come on, man. Like, come, dude, just stop calling me. Just give me an hour. Like his thing's on. <laughs> Send me a text <laughs> or something, man. Now's not the time. Yeah. And uh, no, my name's my mom had like, my dad was at a uh, baseball tournament, my little brother, my mom had gone to like a graduation party and it was just me in the house. I was just flipping a baseball and it was the Brewers last pick. They hadn't take, they'd taken one catcher. So I was like, not their last pick, but 39th round came through. They'd taken a catcher, a high school kid in the 13th round. So I'm like, all right, just don't be a catcher. That way I can maybe sign. They're going to need more than one catcher. And then it popped up John M. Cleary. And I was like, that's me. <laughs> yeah. So from Maryland and I just screamed and my mom had just walked in to like console me in case I didn't get drafted. I'm pretty sure. And I uh, just like yelled and like couldn't believe it. Like took a picture of it just to make sure, like I had proof of it. And then I ran downstairs, gave my mom a hug. My dad called. And it was a special day for sure. What What was the wait then like to to get contacted? Because you get drafted, but you didn't get a phone call. So you just like yeah. staring at your phone, just like I uh, really hope yeah. they're gonna really hope they're gonna actually sign me. Oh man, my phone like died within like 15 minutes of people like calling and texting me and stuff. Because of that buddy who was trying to get you to go to the concert. He burned your battery out. Uh, I know it. Uh, no, I, what I did was I went, because sh- I didn't have a hat or anything, I went straight to just to the to Lids and bought a Brewer's hat. <laughs> That's what I did. And then he called me on the way uh, to that. And uh, I think I was out, like, by Monday, flying to Arizona. So you, you've already conquered long odds before. You walk on, turn into basically a four-year starter over at Maryland. Did you think you had a path to the big leagues? Like, what did you, you know, this was another challenge for you. What was, you know, what you, you walk into the complex in Arizona, where did you kind of think you stood? Yeah. I mean, I thought for sure at that point, like I I was like, this is going to happen. I'll be just being honest. Like after going through all that and like, you know, that kind of, I just kept making it to the next level. I don't know. And And it was every time, you know, I was getting out of what I put into it, I guess. But I remember driving, after I got drafted, I was like, this, this could really happen, make it to the big leagues. You know, I don't know what to expect, but the ACC was good enough. I just had to take that confidence in there. And um, just it was my job now, you know. I was like, this is going to be awesome just to do this full time and just totally commit to it. it. You know, no school anymore, just just baseball. So, yeah, I believe for sure. And what was that first impression of of rookie ball like? Uh, the The heat of Arizona – um, catching the, you know, catching those games in the complex league, you know, you get, uh, you know, you get 25 games with the, the, in the complex league, and then you get a little small little cup of coffee in short season. 
what was your, you know, after you get a chance to breathe after that 2013 year of long year of, of Maryland baseball and then pro ball, how, how did you think you stacked up after that kind of short sample? Um, I mean, it was interesting. I was a little disappointed. I was going to Arizona after being like a fifth year senior, you know, the short season team where all the drafted kids went, you know, from college, that's where I thought I belonged, you know, for sure. But the Arizona was a great experience, you know, too. I just, it was the furthest thing away from the big leagues, you know, and you're just like, man. So I, I kind of was, that was interesting, but I just kept my head down and the heat was insane. Um, obviously catching all those games at night, you know, doing that at night and practicing all day. And then, you know, I'd never been to Arizona. So it was cool experience. A um, lot of stuff I did in college, you know, that I'm all of a sudden I'm back doing for kids who a lot of kids who didn't go to college or something, they're, you know, younger, younger kids. Um, but I did get a chance to get called up to that short season team when they made the playoff run and had a good little um, run there. So, and, and got invited to the instructional league. So, I mean, at the end of it, I was pretty sure that I, you know, I was on the right track after that first year. What is spring training like for a, a minor league catcher? Like what, what's your day, what's your day usually look like? Yeah, it's pretty insane. You just get there, you know, there's breakfast at the clubhouse, you know, change into your gear, your, your, your clothes, do a little warm up in the gym if you want. And then the catchers are out there first, like catching bullpens usually. And it just starts. I mean, you barely get to hit really. I mean, you get out there early, maybe get some swings while you know other catchers are coming out and then it's just bullpens. And then, um, then like the regular stretching starts, everyone gets together and breaks to different fields and you know, all that stuff. But I mean, all the catchers are there getting, you know, catching bullpens from, from the beginning for sure. It's a lot of bullpens. You get, um, you know, that 2014 season, you're 24 cause you are, you know, you're a fifth year senior. So a little behind the curve as far as, you know, age of the league and everything like that, you get back out the short season, the pioneer league and the playing time is kind of minimal for you there. What is, you know, again, you're 24. What's what, you know, what's your mentality of, you know, I'm, I'm in short season. I'm, I've still got a job, but I'm not playing all the time. I'm not, you know, I'm still pretty far from the big leagues. How do you get better? But how do you, how do you stay positive and stay confident in yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, not making that full season team was tough. I had to stay in what's called extended spring training. I'm sure you're familiar with that. I mean, that is a grind, an absolute grind, but I did use it as time to get better and I did get better. I mean, my swing was coming around. I really felt like I was, was getting there. Um, it's a whole new ball game once another draft class comes in, especially when they draft a catcher. And you're just like, wow, this is so, this is just, this is crazy. You know, it's a, it's just, you know, other kids coming from the Latino players coming from other countries. Your catcher's good talent, and you got new college kids coming in, and all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden you're just not another. You know, they're on to the next thing, which you know, it's a business. I get it, but yeah, getting there didn't get to play as much. But when I did, I, I mean, I was playing pretty well so at, at times um for sure so I was hoping to get a chance to move up and get that get to a full season team that was my main goal was just make it to that full season team you know where it maybe it's a little bit more about winning or something I'm not sure but and just I wanted that full opportunity for that full season team but it never came really so what's the clubhouse dynamic like in a rookie ball team like that uh in, in short season where you know, in college, a lot of it comes down to seniority, you know, certain, you know, a lot of times like the best player on the team typically, you know, will, will be a leader, be in a leadership position where people look to them. But in that rookie ball environment, it's different. You might have 18 year old kids who are millionaires or, you know, you might have fifth year mm -hmm. senior catchers who are older than everyone else, but lowest on the toting pole when it comes to how the organization views them. How does how does a, a pro clubhouse work out? especially in short season versus, you know, like your, your Maryland clubhouse. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally different. Um, but I mean, it's just, a, you're, you're pro at that time. I mean, every, it's everyone's job. So everyone gets it. And I mean, it's so much fun. Those guys become your brothers when you're playing with them and everything like, you know, so it has a, it has a cool feel to it. I mean, obviously Maryland college is different because it's like you, you literally are in the trenches with those guys in class and the team's not changing all the time and people aren't getting traded and, and whatnot or, so it's different in a lot of ways, but I mean, it's, it's still, it's professional baseball. So it's just such a cool, you know, it's just a day-to-day -day thing. Like you just live at the baseball field, you know, so it's still cool. And obviously there's, you know, the, the lineups kind of just change. You never really know what, what they're the reason why, or if it's, you know, from a, from the higher up, you know, organization 
management or if it's the coach or if it's this or that. I mean, you try to just not think about those things and do your job when you're, when you're called on, you know, you get, um, you get released in spring training that next year and you're kind of back to where you were at age 18, trying to find a place to play. What, what, what is the process like, of <laughs> you get released. So it's, it's like head home or it's figure out what you're going to do that summer. How did you go about that? Did you think it might be over? Did you think you might've played your last baseball game? Um, not really. I don't think I thought I had, I don't think I kind of like was, but I was taken aback. I thought I for sure was going to make a team. I, I felt like I was one of the, from, from AAA down, one of the, you know, right up there with all those guys looking around, but I just didn't factor in the age thing. I don't think, you know, like I was what, 25 at that time. So to, it was like, I was up against the odds in terms of like, all right, what are you going to do? Start go to short seat. You know, I was already behind so much. Were they going to go to a full season team as a 25 year old? They would have had to put me like in, in, high A or something, which would have been jumping a lot of levels. So I was hoping something like that would happen. I guess I was just trying to get through spring training. I didn't really think I'd get released, to be honest. But um, that happened. It kind of caught me off guard. And obviously, the, they make cuts in certain days. And when, anytime you're walking in that locker room, you're hoping that they don't tell you to go see the <laughs> go see the, the, uh, the um, minor league director or whatever. But um, when it happened, I kind of was relieved because I was like, oh, man, maybe I can get into an organization that – would value me for a fifth year type senior with a lot of experience in ACC baseball and, and already playing with these guys that are in high A and, and double A. So I was hoping that that would be what happened. I had an agent that I just signed with that was really nowhere to be found after I got released. Um, so that didn't work out. And then, uh, you know, where I went to play after that, I went to Joliet, Illinois and independent ball. And so that was kind of a brewer's feeder. I think uh, coach Isom, he, he was the coach there and um, a lot of the, some other guys got released and already had ended up there. Some Maryland guys, Alfredo Rodriguez, like one of my best friends and Charlie white, they all ended up there. And I kept trying to contact him as Jeff Eisen, try to contact him and uh, get on, you know, see if I could get on the team to play. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't call me back at first. And finally there was a, I had to go to, I went back to Richmond. I had to go to a tryout for the pioneer or the frontier league in Akron, Ohio. So to try out for this team, for the team, for, it was like a league wide tryout, all the teams like go and have like a draft. And so I packed all my stuff up in my car and like was debating even going. Cause I was just at that point, I was like, this sounds crazy to me. Why do I need to try out for an independent baseball team? But I didn't know anything about independent baseball. So had you looked at like monster.com or anything at that point and be like, well, you know, I got this degree. <laughs> No, I hadn't, not yet. No, I had not. I knew at that point I was motivated to get back and play. I was going to play somewhere one more year because I had just gone through spring training. I was geared up to play for sure and just see what happens. So I went to the tryout and it was like freezing cold, a bunch of people there, maybe like 200 guys there. I don't remember. And each team had two picks. So I was like, all right, well, this is going to be crazy. Like I'm like, I'm going to have to tear it up here to even get noticed. I mean, hopefully they know who I am. The coach knew I was coming. And I did. I had a really good try. I think I had like a triple and a home run or something and um, just played well and ended up getting drafted by the Joliet Slammers and then went from Akron, Ohio with all my stuff and drove to Joliet, Illinois. And then like two of my college teammates were in the in the meeting. So it was like, holy cow, that was probably the most fun I had playing baseball that summer, man. Like just it felt like that I could just play again. There was fans. Felt like It felt like minor league baseball to me. Like I hadn't experienced because, you know, short season, there's Helena, Montana was a cool place to play, but it wasn't, you know, um, a big stadium with, a, you know, a ton of fans. They had good, great fans, but it wasn't like, you know, Joliet was kind of a big stadium with events going on and kids coming to the game, asking for autographs, stuff like that. So it felt more like like minor league baseball to me. I was going to ask, what's the clubhouse vibe like in, in indie ball where the team doesn't change quite as much as pro ball? It's not a shuffle and not – you're not playing to get moved up to the next level. It's more, yeah. more playing to win, more playing to, to do well. What is that environment? Yeah, get like? noticed. It's a lot. Of, I mean, everyone's kind of had similar experiences. You know, there's a lot of guys trying to make it to the big leagues playing minor league baseball. Most of those guys were either really good in college or played affiliated ball and had re- injuries or got released or, you know, just didn't work out for whatever reason. And they're there trying to get back to. Um, so it was really cool, man. That was a lot of fun. Just that was baseball to me, you know, summer playing all summer wood bat, you know, trying to make up 
playoff run type stuff. You know, it was more about winning, but it was also about just leaving it on the field. Cause we knew at that point, you know, you're there might be your last season or whatever. Um, so you're just trying to do what you can to get noticed. I mean, what a story it is if you can make it out of that back to affiliated ball, you know? Was there any thought while you were there kind of enjoying yourself to be in one of those indie ball lifers? When I say lifer, I mean a guy who, you know, plays into his thirties. I had a, had a guest on this podcast earlier this year named Marcus Nidifer who played, uh, played into his caught into his thirties, uh, in mm-hmm. indie ball. Was there, wow. you know, was there any thought to you to, I know you played with a guy who actually went to my high school named Russell Moldenhauer in, in Juliet, who was in indie yeah. ball for a long time. Was there any thought to, you know, this, this might be a fun way to spend my summers for the next few years? Um, I definitely thought I was going to play. I, like, I didn't think that was my last game of baseball. I thought for sure I'd go home and hopefully, get at least invited to spring training with another club or, or whatever, or find another indie ball team. I didn't think I was going to go back there, but I figured I would play again, to be honest. So, but I know I I didn't, I mean, I knew catchers could hang around, you know? So I always thought like when I was playing, I'm like, yeah, I could hang around and catch, you know, probably as long as I want somewhere, hopefully. But I I wanted to get back into affiliated baseball. I, I didn't really have any interest in becoming a coach or not, or, you know, playing, I feel like a lot of guys who play that long eventually want to stay in baseball and be a coach or whatever. I kind of wanted to um, get out of it if, if it wasn't going to work out to make it to the big leagues or at least get another crack at that. Obviously it was a long way away, but um, yeah, I didn't necessarily think about staying in indie ball that long. I mean, I would, but I definitely would have kept grinding it out had I not had like more of a realization when I got home. <laughs> so what, what kind of, what was the final nail in the coffin? Then when did you decide that that, the last game you played for Juliet was going to be your last game. I didn't decide it then. I had no idea running off that field that it would be my last game. I think I played first base that game too, which was interesting. But so I, I just got home and I was still training for the off season, but no one was, I mean, I didn't, I, I wish I had reached out to more teams, but I just wanted it to happen. I, you know, I know a lot of people are reaching out, but I don't know if that, I don't know how much that really works. You know, I figured they would find me if it was meant to be. Um, but I was still training and everything and hoping it would work out, just staying optimistic. But, um, my dad, who's like probably was my biggest fan. I mean, he was an unbelievable support, uh, system. Only reason I got to play, you know, he was always there, but we kind of had some realistic talks, you know, he's a financial advisor and he knows what he's doing. You know, I was already what, 26, 27. It was time for me to really like, yeah. What that, uh, what that bank account look like after a couple years, uh, in minor league baseball man not not great yeah it was there wasn't much money in there there's a little more now so but <laughs> it was um yeah it was a grind man I mean you don't get paid in the offseason either so I would caddy and do lessons and probably have more money in the offseason was it was there like a day is there like a time you can point to where like a moment where it's like I'm I'm done I'm not not putting the gear back on not taking these cuts anymore if I work out it's just to not get fat um, yeah, I'm done. Uh, I was still work it, it, when I would go work out and like get get going like high high intensity stuff. I would be like, oh, I'm playing. You know, that was the tough part. I'd go work out and I'd come back and be like, I can, I still want to do this. But then you know, it was like, where are you going to go? So I think I hit a, I hit up a couple independent ball teams. I think can't remember which ones now. Maybe like Somerset Patriots. I think I was trying to get up there, and I just could realize it was going to be tough to do that again. Like I was going to have to go grind up there and, and maybe be a backup catcher there. And, you know, that I remember being like, well, I, I know I can make that happen. Like, this is the story of my, of my career. Like I'll, I'll find a way to crack in. But I mean, honestly, I think I, that point in the spring, once spring training had started already, I was like, all right. And I, I started looking for jobs kind of, and just to see what was out there. Cause I was, I still thought I was going to play, but it was like, kind of coming crashing down like I had to come to that realization that it was over and then um finally got a job at the my brother works at the mortgage company CNF mortgage local mortgage mid-atlantic mortgage company and uh one of his friends works there as a branch manager who's my boss now and uh I went and shattered him and I was like all right I think I want to do this I'm a loan officer now in the mortgage business so it's been good but yeah once I got that I felt like I had I didn't start for like three or four months too so I was like all right I'm gonna do that and it kind of was the turning point for me to like look at something else and make a career out of that. So when you were able to kind of look back at your career and the fact that you went from, you know, guy who might not get a chance to play in college to every, you know, 
you you played professionally for a few years. Was that were you content? Was it? Did you feel like you left a little bit on the table? Like, how do you view baseball via your career now? With especially with a couple years lens after things yeah. went over. Yeah, well, it gets it's still coming into sight focus, you know, some honestly because it's just it's crazy. That's your life. That's your identity. And when it's gone, it was tough. You know, it was really tough to be honest. And you know, especially in the beginning of that, um, I always knew that like I had enough to hang my hat on. I mean, just getting drafted for me is and playing Division One baseball was like just surreal to me. Like it, it changed my life. When it changed what school I went to, it changed, you know, um, how I was able to look at the game, everything. So like looking back on that, I knew I had already done enough to like be happy with it. Um, I, you know, like you said, I, I would have loved to have been able to be that catcher that catches into his thirties and is a baseball lifer. I mean, I definitely think I could have done that and it would have been happy with life and who knows where it would have taken me. So that's the crazy part. You just don't know. So that's the hard part sometimes to, to look back on, but you just got to move forward every day and just, you know, God has a plan in my opinion. And and so, you know, you just kind of like, you're thankful for what you had and you just try to um, be thankful and just keep looking forward. If you could go back and give yourself a pep talk right after seeing your name on that screen pop up in the 39th round, right before signing, what would, yeah. what would that advice be to, I guess, 23 year old Jack heading into pro ball? Yeah, it would be slow, just slow down. I think, you know, for me, like college was more of a amped up rah, rah. And I was a, I played hard, you know, so, but it definitely like, you know, the, the major league teams are looking for that, that player who just carries himself with a lot of um, controlled aggression, you know, and I had a lot of that too, but I just feel like at times I got sped up and would, you know, it's almost like a, frustration just just like wanting to play and move up and get, get there quicker and it's, instead of letting the game come to me a little bit more from just like a you know even just like a hitting perspective just like you know breathing better and slowing yourself down and and really you know going pitch by pitch um and just kind of like being in your body maybe a little bit more i got a little rapid fire for you and then i'll let you get out of here cool cool favorite acc away ballpark north carolina that that is the I believe that is back to back North Carolina wins in this. Yeah, question. that's like that's baseball ACC. right there. Do you have a least favorite away ACC ballpark? Boston College, probably. Yeah, seems yeah. seems cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best pitcher you ever faced? Marcus Stroman. How did that go? I grounded out the second. I only got, yeah. So he was righty. A lot of the good pitchers I faced, like I mean, Danny Holson would definitely be up there, but he was lefty, so I saw him a little bit better. But gosh, he was so good. Carlos Rodon was good. Matt Harvey was probably, yeah, the right. I mean, Stroman was just a bulldog or still is. And he just, yeah, he threw one in on my hands like a two seamer and I just grounded it to second, I think. But um, yeah, he was awesome to watch. Nastiest pitcher you ever caught. Doesn't have, doesn't have to be the best. Like you're not going to slide anyone here, but just who had the, the nastiest stuff. Nastiest stuff. Gosh, that's a tough one. Like, um, let's see. You can list off a couple. Someone had like a nasty sinker. Someone had a, a nasty breaker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mars threw an 80 mile, 89 mile per hour splitter in high school. That was insane. And never knew which way it was going. Styler was just an unbelievable, like just surgeon on the mound. Jimmy Reed, when I was at Maryland, was unreal. Um, Brett Harmon had a nasty slider, man. It, so, I mean, the list goes on, man. I caught so many good, good pitchers. But moving into the minor leagues, I mean, I got to catch Brandon Woodruff and Devin Williams. Those guys, Devin Williams' changeups unreal, and then Brandon Woodruff is just just pumps ninety eight right at you. <laughs> it's, it's all the airbender that Devin Williams changeup per uh, per yeah, pitching that, ninja. I called that I, a lot of wiggles when we were in Helena, Montana, for sure. Um, if there's another round of conference realignment, would you rather Maryland stay in the Big Ten or go back to the ACC? It's hard, man. I mean, I'm obviously an ACC guy. I mean, that's where I'm, I'm from, Virginia, so Richmond, Virginia, but. They've obviously done well there, and it's kind of cool having Michigan there with with Eric Backage. But I mean, I'm definitely. I mean, you know, either way, I think it's all everyone's trying to play in that Omaha uh, anyway. So whatever the easiest route to get there is for for those guys. I mean, that's at the end of the day. That's what's you know, Omaha is what matters. The question, the last question I ask everybody: Do you have a nightmare bus ride story from your time in pro ball? Nightmare bus ride story. Uh there, there are uh, Grand Junction back to Helena, Montana. That's like a 12-hour ride or something. 
And I think I'd had a good game, so that was that was nice. But I remember waking up, like, just having this uh, – couldn't sleep that good, and the sun was – yeah, the sun was rising or whatever, and it was – like, we were in, like, rolling hills. And I was like, man, we, it looks like, like, Idaho or something. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure it was Idaho. And I just remember, man, that's, like, super minor league. I never thought I'd be in that part of the country on a bus ride. And I just went back to sleep. <laughs> but, yeah, that was a nightmare bus ride. Could be worse. Could we we've had some some absolute tragedies? Uh, yeah, as, as yeah. Far, as, far as, that, as far as that goes, but Jack Clear, that's all I've got for you. Thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, man. And that's it for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm. Huge thanks to Jack Cleary for stopping by, sharing his story. Real pleasure for me to have him on the show. If you enjoyed this one, please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you get those new episodes dropping every other Tuesday. If you're on Apple Podcasts, go quick on your podcast player, leave a five-star rating and a review. Let us know what you think about the show. And remember, subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We will catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.